Put down your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Morning, Andy. Morning, Tom. So we've got a great episode. We've got a view of Stargrave, which we played uh, for you guys at home. We've had an interview with Mantic CEO Ronnie Renton. Uh, all our usual segments, as you expect. So, an action-packed show, shall we jump in? I think so. Hobby progress. So, the nights are starting to draw in a little bit now, Andy. Have you got much hobby progress done over the last couple of weeks? I have. I painted two units of Dragoons and Blutcher and his officers in 6 mil. Woo-hoo. Managed to get some paint done. Woohoo! I finished Minecraft. Amazingly, I killed the Ender Dragon. And I know I can keep playing forever because that's how the game works. But it has freed me up to actually, you know, do housework, uh, clean myself, you know, leave the house, that kind of shenanigans. So I'm hoping to get a bit more um, hobby work done. So how did you find painting the six mil horses when you actually started? Oh, it's fine. It's it, honestly, it's, it's like a little bit of a mental block. You're like, oh, man, I have to paint these six mil guys. And you start doing it you're like, this is so easy. Blop, 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 blop. I feel kind of bad. I didn't. I haven't been painting the horses all different colours. It's like obviously when they went to get these horses, they're like, like okay, we'll go to that horse breeder. We've got all the brothers and sisters that all look the same colours, same markings, and same colour horse for that unit. But it's just when I'm painting them, I, I just like yeah, I just paint the horses all the same in, in each unit, so it helps differentiate them a bit. I don't think historically. Uh, I don't think that's really incorrect. I don't know about the Prussians, but now like. The British Army, they'd quite often have, you know, in theory, try and have the same colour in the same units. Mm-hmm. Just and uh, like, especially like markings and things, you know, uh, sort of stablemen and coachmen and that. They they had their ways of making them have the same markings because they were sort of quite keen on having uniformity. So if something, if they had like three of them, and they all had like four white socks, and then they had like a fourth which only had three. They had like ways and means, which are quite grim, of making that fourth one get a fourth sock. I feel sorry for that horse now. It's the scare of it on. It's sort of like, like sort of proto cosmetic surgery because they like them all to look the same. Right. There we go. Turns out we weren't nice to animals in, in the history back in the day. Who would have thought? For more details, check out our ancillary podcast, Horse Chat. Horse chat. <laughs> Time to bite the bit and get into the meat of the conversation <laughs> on horse chat. So, do you think anything else did you manage to do apart from those? Or was uh, not, not saying that just, you know, several units of dragoons is just that? <laughs> just that. Just, you know, the Prussian, you know, high marshal as general Blitzer. Um, I've just, just been trying to sort things out and get things a bit more organized. Um, I did do um, an experiment, as our Facebook um, uh, members will know. I, I found this tinted windscreen spray, and I thought it was going to be like a subtle dark tint that I could spray on the models, and maybe it would work like, like um, Army Painter dark tone, perhaps, and give like a grim, dark look to a model. So I quickly got a plastic space marine, did a real basic paint job on it, and I gave it a spray with this window tinting um, aerosol can. And that's when I realized that this window tinting aerosol 
which is a rebranded black primer. Um, I'm really glad I never sprayed any of my car windows with it. <laughs> That's what I would say. But um, if pitch black is uh, grim dark enough for you, then, then this was perfect. So I tried wiping it off and it just came off in clumps and it was horrible. So um, that was a failure. Um, but every failure takes us forward. I'm glad I tried it. I tried something new. Uh, it didn't work, but maybe the next one will. Well, you never learn if you don't try, do you? Yeah, I shouldn't be afraid to try new things. And if I can laugh it off as I did, oh, oh well, I tried it, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a good thing. All right, so I've got a little bit done. Uh, I paint, I finished building all the Romans that I'm planning on using for my Kings of War army. So I've got through, you know, various, for somehow I've ended up having like three different types of, of Roman. Um, I do some, somehow I've got some of the like hobbity scale ones. So they'll just have to be mixed in with the rest. And then after I'd sort of got all those built, I thought I would paint something that I'd already got built. Because I think I'm trying to get into the habit of build a project, paint an older project, then paint the project I've just built. To sort of like not, because I've, I've spent a long time working through my backlog of stuff that I'd got built and primed and not mm -hmm. painted. And so I've got rid of most of those as so I don't want to, you know, sort of like re sort of grow that collection of built stuff rather than painted because I don't know about you, but I much prefer building stuff than painting it. It's uh, I always have such great plans when I'm building stuff. I'm like, I'm just adjusting the arm for the swing of the blow. And I'm like, oh, look. Without, when that's painted up, it's going to look amazing. Uh, really amazing, I think. And then I, uh, then I actually just do my splodgy paint job and I'm like, ah, it's a shame no one who was actually a competent painter uh, didn't get a chance to paint these amazing models I've made. Yeah, so after, after I'd built all those Romans, and I also didn't feel like immediately jumping into painting like 150 Romans. So I painted what? the... You didn't want to paint 150 Romans right off the bat? What? Uh, so I painted some the Judge Dredd things that I'd got from oh, the... they look brilliant, Tom. Supply crate the other week. Yeah. Painted up. There was two blisters of the Sky Rain Raider mutants. And... I'm not a huge fan of the heads of them, uh, but they're, they're nice models. Painted those up. Then there was three fatties in a random blister, so I just painted those up. They're quite nice sculpts. And then I painted the judges, mm -hmm. gang of five street judges. And for some reason, the judges, they were really, I painted them really quickly, but they just looked really nice. They do, they look lovely. I think they might be some of the nicest models I've painted. Mm -hmm. And they were just, they're like four colours, you know, like a, a rubber black, a brightish green and some gold. And, yeah. you know, I think I painted all five of them in like probably, I don't know, three or four hours. Yeah. Like, I think they're a good example of maybe how sometimes less is more. Mm -hmm. on a core model because there's like lots of space which is just well because like the, the you know what i judged if you've read 2080 you know what a judge looks like yeah like they're not covered in doodads and bits and bobs and no. so there, there is lots of empty space on them and they just look i think really cool and actually i'm quite excited to play that judge dread game 
I'm trying to tell myself I don't need any Clegs um, to to play with because they are awesome. But um, I'm I'm going to resist for now until we've actually played the game, Tom. Well, what I quite like about it, like I haven't played the game yet, but now I've got the full rule book. What something I quite like about it is that it is a relatively small game, and like mm-hmm. if you play the campaign, it's based around sort of three missions. You play like one with a small gang. The end game is like everything, and the middle one is like somewhere in between. But like the two blisters I've got for the Sky Mutants, they like allow me to easily play like with all the options for a big game at the end. And all I need is maybe like a, another judge on a bike to sort of like bang the judges out for the campaign. Yeah. And the models I've built so far are really nice. Like they, they, I would say they are all, all apart from the judges. But like all the Sky Mutants and the Fatties in a way, I think like each model I would say is like HQ hero quality. Oh, that's good. So then like even though there might be like 15 quid for three or 20 quid for three, mm-hmm. they actually don't feel like you're not buying troops, if, yeah. if that makes sense. Like if I like the game, I might not feel like, like oh, I might buy like the Angel Gang or something and not yeah. feel like, oh, I'm waste this is going to be a, a huge outlay so i'm yeah. sort of looking forward to see what it's like and you know i grew up reading 2018 me too the, the thought of having mean machine angel yeah. is um it makes me feel giddy as a schoolgirl, tom <laughs> yeah and you know the, you know maybe like an abc warrior or something when stuff yeah. comes out and it's i think it's like i think it verges on the right side of fan service mm-hmm um, so we'll have to sort of see. So looking forward to playing it. Yeah, me too. Uh, and that was sort of my hobby progress. Yes, good stuff. And the thing is, even if you get one model painted, it's progress. You're oh, yeah. moving forward. So. Oh yeah, and uh, I packed up all my paint because uh, with the moving, so sort of packed up all my paint. And actually, I think I've talked before about being like a paint hoarder, but yeah. actually, like getting out all the paint that I've got ferreted everywhere and going, oh, I forgot <laughs> like that box of overflow paint. And oh, there's the spare box of paint. So I think once I've moved, I'm going to be having a uh, quite severe paint sale. Yeah. So watch this space. Yeah. So shall we move on to hobby purchases? I think, yes, we're talking about selling. Let's talk about buying. Hobby purchases. I can't remember who went first last month, but I'll go first this week. Yeah. I spent £9 on some MDF bases for Kings of War. Ooh. Because I was going to just glue together the 40 mil bases that I've got loads of. Yeah. And then I needed, like, I think I needed a is 100 mil frontage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so I can't be bothered to be measuring them and cutting them in half when I can buy bases for 30p each of that size. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like the regiment, you can you, know, you can buy it off eBay, MDF regiment bases for Kings of War for three for a pound. Yeah. So I was like... And trying to cut it straight and make it so it fits, like, your time, Tom, your time is worth more than 30p. 
yeah so i was like you know what the the 40 mil squares can be kept for something else or just you know not used for anything eventually so yeah i just bought those mdf bases and that's it so uh yeah you win again but only by a pound because i spent 10 pounds on some mdf bases (laughs) for my uh six mil samurai i've ordered those so that's a project I want to get on with, and uh, I have no bases. How can I? Oh, I've got to uh, order some of those. They're, they're yeah. on my. That fact, I think they are in my eBay list to buy at this moment. If I haven't already bought them, so I might have been lying in that run. It's been a tenner. I have to see what comes for next month. Come around before well, I bought them or not. I'm still waiting for my flags to come through. So, well, technically, like last week, I said I last episode, I said. Or bought some flags. So it's eleven turned up, so I'm gonna have to give them a message and see what's happening there. So good low expenditure end of September for us both. Yeah. So shall we jump into hobby news and see how th- that could affect next month's expenditure? <laughs> yes. Breaking news. Let's see what's happening. Hobby news. So hobby news. Actually quite a lot has been uh, sort of released sort of come up in the last few weeks yeah, i think probably you know in true sort of wait for years for something to come along and then two come along on the same day like wait for yeah. a bus eh? big news in the world war ii community plastic italians yay finally released by both war games atlantic and warlord I think, unsurprisingly, the plastic Italians from Warlord were released to coincide with the Soft campaign underbelly. Soft Underbelly book, which I think we muted it's named about. about. It's named after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I can't remember what episode we chatted it about in, but I think we sort of muted that maybe plastic Italians might come out with a, you know, an Italy campaign book. And they might have some decent rules for Italians in there as well, if they're smart. Let's hope so. Seems like a few pictures of both kits so far. Um, they both look really nice. I think possibly as a single set, the War Games Atlantic ones might pip it a little bit in that they simply have more options. And you get the um, a, a machine gun and the heavy machine gun team as well in the box. So, you know, yeah. that saves you, what, nine quid for a machine gun team? I don't know how much a machine gun team costs these days. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, if, if you just want a relatively small elite army, one box, and it's fine. Yeah. You know, so I think that's cool. You know, and, you know, the the Underbelly campaign is already up for pre-order. Mm-hmm. I would assume the Warlord ones will actually be on, like, people's painting tables quite a way before the War Games Atlantic ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's... You know, neither here nor there. I I will be picking up the campaign book at some point. I haven't pre-ordered it. And I will next year probably buy some of the Wall of Atlantic, the War Games Atlantic Italians. I've not pre-ordered them because uh, just I've got enough to get on with at the minute. Yeah. Buy them next year. I, I feel, I don't know I about how you feel about this, but I've, I've found like pre-ordering things Unless it's something I desperately, desperately want, and it might well sell out, or it's a limited edition, 
it's just almost like a waste of time. I, I don't tend to pre-order things, Tom. I'll be honest, very rarely. The one thing I pre-ordered was SPQR. Um, and so I don't pre-order things anymore. Yeah. It's just, I just, I, I don't find that things are running out. And, and I mean, this might change in the future. We've, you know, we can't get HGV drivers in anywhere. Um, but I've never found I've been in a situation where I couldn't get hold of something that I wanted. No, no, not when, especially when it's things coming from like a major manufacturer. Yeah. And it's like a major new product line. Yeah. So, so. I mean, I do Kickstarters occasionally. That's kind of like pre-ordering, but again, very different. Now, the thing with the War Games Atlantic is, like, sometimes you can, like, pre-order stuff, and then, like, it ships in three months. Yeah. And sometimes it's, like, six months, and it's just... Well, I think they're doing the smart thing for them to put up the pre-order, because if whichever one comes out first... Well, yeah, and, like, the thing with them is, if you're in a rush, because what happens is, they literally get, like, a shipment of it from wherever it's made... And mm-hmm. they come, and then, like, then when they're sold out, it's like, right, the next shipment will be six months. Yeah. And so, like, if you actually want them in a timely fashion, then you have to order them. But, like, when I want order them, I'm not going to be in any rush for them at all. No. You know, like, I'm not running out of things to paint or war, um, or bolt action armies. No, it's not, like, it's not like I'm going to go, oh, I need them for an event next month. Yeah. So, uh, this past weekend was the... Warlord Games Open Day. Yep. Where they, I didn't go, but I looked at some of the figures and they were sort of like, they showed off, uh, you know, the Italian, surprisingly, some Belgian bicycle troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, Centurion for sort of some very late war. Yep. So like a little bit of post-war stuff. And that's really it for like Warlord news from me. I don't know if you've got any. I didn't look at any of it. I saw the plastic Italians. I saw there's some vehicles, some plastic vehicles coming that I kind of like half-tracky things. I wasn't really sure what they were. You probably know better than me, Tom. But, um, yeah. Yeah, there is like a, a, a new version of a couple of new versions of German half-track, I think. You know, like yeah. 251s, whatever's. No, we're not going to now list Pioneer variants of half-tracks. <laughs> Well, you say that, Tom, but I know the listeners at home are dying to hear. But talking about half-tracks, um, Victrix, uh, in their like ongoing 12 mil World War II range, hmm? have now released uh, like a pack of M3 half-tracks and Stuarts mm-hmm. for anyone who's playing 12 mil yep. World War II in plastic. And going down even smaller, 2D6 have released their Creek Kickstarter. Yep. Which is, is still going. Uh, I've still got time to back that. I think when this episode comes out. Oh, so I'm if, very tempted, but I just I can't. I can't. I've got so much to to paint still in 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 six mil. I got Carthaginians. I got all the Prussian stuff. I got the samurai from the last one they did. I can't, in good faith, buy a load of Falsham Jaeger and, and New Zealanders. No, I think like. Although I, I want think, to. Oh, I want to, Tom. Yeah, it's exactly the same here. It's like, it's the pledge level I would have backed if I was backing it. And I, again, I really would like to have. It's £90. You get a really good Falschmiega force and, you know, the Commonwealth slash New Zealanders. You know, enough to play like a really good game. They will be fantastically detailed, really nice scaled minis. 
the reason why I'm not backing it is simply I haven't got a spare 90 quid at the minute. Yeah. And I've got, as you, you know, I haven't painted the samurai from the previous 2D6 Kickstarter. And yeah. so it, it seems silly to be buying backing Kickstarters when you've not painted the last ones. Controversially, Tom, I'm getting excited about painting projects I was excited to do before, like actually go back to it and go, why was I excited about this samurai? I'm going to get myself excited about them again and get them done, which is why I ordered those bases. Like, yeah. Try and, try and reinvigorate the excitement you felt when you bought the thing. Well, I think it's, I think, I, I know we've talked about it a lot, you know, the like hobby of opportunity, like pile of shame sort of thing. And it's not, you see something really cool, you don't have to buy everything really cool that you would like. Mm. And you can actually, I really would like this, but I'm not buying it because yep. I don't need either. I don't need need it. I've got enough stuff to be going on with at the minute. But, you know, even when once these. All right. Again, we've just talked about Kickstarter. Once these are out, if we decide next year or, you know, three or four years time, I actually really would like to do some six mil creep. We just buy them then. Yeah. They're not going to. Uh, hopefully, touch wood, not going anywhere anytime soon. So yeah. buy them then. And on a, a slightly more whimsical note, uh, Crooked Dice have released a new range of homage figures for ah, those ah, who like ah. to play 70 uh, TV and that sort of thing. And we have Soldiers of Fortune. The first which, team. Which sort of look kind of like a team of men that might have been accused of a crime they didn't commit. And sort can, of, you fi- can, you, can you find them online? <laughs> if you can yeah. find them, maybe you can buy them. They may form some kind of alpha, you know, numerical named team that drive around in a van. Um, One group. Yeah, basically, if you want to buy the A-team. Um, yeah. From Cro- and who doesn't? Cro- Crooked Dice now uh, sell the A-team. And I, I said on the Facebook group, Mr. T is named the Practical Mechanic. Yep. Which is going to be the name of my next D&D character, regardless of what they are. Yeah. Um, I, again, I haven't bought as much as I would love the A-Team, and especially Mr. T. I haven't bought them because I haven't played 7TV yet. And mm. I think, you know, I really would like to, I think, possibly get into playing some 7TV at some point. It sounds like a really good, it does sound really good. It yeah. does sound really good. You know, like when you can play Krull. And, you yeah. know, if you can play Krull, then it means you're not a million miles away from being able to play Hawk the Slayer. Well, I, th- I actually think you can play Hawk the Slayer, to be quite frank. I think you can play, like, you can do Indiana Jones, you can do, um, like, Blake Seven. Yeah, you know, who wants you know, to come and play Lady Hawk tonight down the club? You know, that's... Exactly. That's... So that's the thing for the future. But, yeah, if, if you are interested in, you know... If you're a kid of the 80s, check out Crooked Dice and their new range yeah. of homage figures because they're lovely sculpts. I have a lot of the local figured range and they are the brilliant character minis. You know, you can see, although they're homages, you can tell who they are from a mile away. Well, I've got the parish priests, that's the Father Ted ones, and I've got um, the time-travelling doctor and companion um, DeLorean I'm a travelling doctor, I should say. Um, yeah, and 
Do you think they're nice minutes? Do you think they're nicely cast and just oh, look? wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and then my final bit of hobby news is Mantic obviously got the new version of Dead Zone, but they also sort of brought a game called Overdrive. Yes, which I haven't played and know very little about, but I'm sort of quite interested in in that you're not sure you basically you play. You have a stable of six minis, but you're not sure which of the six you're. You only play with three of them, and yeah, you draft them randomly, and then you play like a combat arena style. It sounds very interesting. I'll be honest, with Tom. Yeah, I, I do that sort of like that idea of like, you know, almost like a card game how you sort of drawing, but you're drawing it. You're almost like drafting a gang on the fly. Yeah, yeah. It's something I, again, I've put on the look into for twenty twenty. Two parts. Yeah. I, I, I find the concept interesting more than sort of like the minis of the game, and it's not particularly expensive. Yeah. So, do you have any hobby news? Andy? Well, uh, Duncan Rhodes, the man who always wears tooth and coats, um, has a Kickstarter, and it just hit one million pounds backed. Um, it's for a range of paints, and there's obviously extra bits and pieces he's given if uh, if he hits certain. Uh, targets um, and obviously doing incredibly well and so that might be something if you are a fan of Duncan Rhodes and his painting then you might want to go and check that out um, I'm of the inclination that I have a whole I've got three big tubs full of paint I'm not sure I want to replace all my paints right now with more paints now I, I can see the appeal of if people really like his tutorials and they like the idea of actually having right We've now got every paint that he's using. They're all in one. Here they are. Yeah. I can now paint along in all the tutorials with all the paints. Yeah. And I think for like a full paint range, it isn't horrendously expensive. No. It's not like you're going to buy like the entire Vallejo range or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's what 140 quid. Yeah. For all the paints. Yeah. So it's it's not pocket change, but nor is it selling a kidney in comparison to the paint ranges because you know like the army painter paint sets the big one of that is quite expensive like the ak one's about 300 quid well you could spend 140 quid in an army yeah you know and, I, and this is the paint to paint on your army so i guess well, like, I, value wise spent, I, i've easily spent over 100 pound on paint oh yeah uh, like in one go when i've had like mass paint re-ups mm. um i can sort of I can see the, the appeal to it, and you know, well done to him for you know, massive campaign that sort of yeah. worked really well. And I think maybe like Duncan's, I don't know, would you agree? He's probably the like miniature wargaming celebrity, like the Peter. only, the only celebrity really. Well, he's he's come out of GW, hasn't he? And their the stock of, and he's sort of became the the face of painting their figures. And he's like, you know. yeah, he was like the the paint of like the face. Of like painting at GW, but I think like since he's sort of like branched out on his own, I'd say it's like even like he's at least maintained that level of sort of celebrity. Yeah, I mean there's other there's other painters on YouTube that I I watch, but yeah, I don't think any of us at the level of Duncan, like no, fame, I, fame wise at least. No, it's like I don't hear like many of the the painters I watch or like watch their like tutorials of sort of like dropping. Being like name dropped in casual conversation. I mean, like Squidmar had his 
paint Kickstarter and bus Kickstarter that he did, and that was very successful for him. But I think it's Duncan. It's like a different level. It's <laughs> one million. <laughs> games we played so last week we finally got round to playing stargrave we did i've been looking forward to playing this game I, I picked up reading all the reviews i picked up i think during lockdown so i was very keen and uh if you've been following on the facebook group you'll see my space goats taking shape uh over the months so really keen to get this on the table same here you know it's one of those like i think it's probably one of the bigger games i picked up during lockdown Mm-hmm. really looking forward to playing it finally got to roll dice with it yeah obviously based on Frostgrave another great game by Joe um, that's when it's second edition now but I played a lot of first edition haven't played the second one yet looking forward to that so there was a lot of excitement to, to see because as soon as you started playing Frostgrave people were like is there any chance you know to do this as a sort of a a science fiction skirmish as well as a, a fantasy one sort of it seemed like if you could maybe just change the system a little bit so yeah so i think you know putting a gang together was it was no issue of like if you've played frost Frostgrave, you know you have you have your wizard and you have your apprentice well in this game in stargrave you have your captain and your first mate now unlike in Frostgrave, when they have to be like if you have a an elementalist wizard then you'll have an elementalist apprentice that's not the case um, with Stargrave. So you could choose a cyborg captain and have a veteran first mate, or he could be any number of different archetypes to choose from. And those archetypes have access to different special powers that you can activate during um, the game. And you get to choose a certain number of those. And the first mate can do that too, but he's not as good as the captain. Yeah, and I think one of the other big differences between Frostgrave and Stargrave is sort of treasure and loot. Mm. In that rather than anyone just gets to a token and picks up the loot, in Stargrave you have two kinds of loot. You have physical and data loot, and it has to be first unlocked and then carried away. Mm -hmm. And actually the unlocking it when we played it can is actually very important and having the right person with the right tools yeah to unlock the loot tokens and sending the right people to the right kind of loot token is incredibly important yeah yeah it definitely made a big difference but yeah i would sort of, i say you know actually building like your captain your first mate and then sort of selecting the gang from the troopers so the options that you have very simple yeah you have a certain number of points and you can spend them on um how many you want and some are free but obviously those ones are not as good as the expensive ones yeah and you, you're you're limited to four specialists mm-hmm. and so like when you have you have a starting credit pool of like 400 yeah and like the specialists sort of start at 75 if you are using the four specialists, because they're quite expensive, the rest of your crew is going to be made up mostly of the freebies. So, I mean, we had a great game. I'd really, it's, oh, Tom's a great opponent. Always have fun. Um, he brought his, his space germans. I bought my space goats. 
Um, I went for the first mission and we set up and, you know, I hadn't played the rules before, but it, it was really in, sort of intuitive. If you play Frostgrave, then you, you have a good idea of, of how the system's going to work when you're playing. Do you find that too, Tom? Yeah, I, I found it was very... Yeah, although we were looking rules up in the rule book, once we actually sort of got going, it, it was very simple to sort of know what we were doing, what we needed to roll, what we need, how we had to roll for it, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I also found there was like rules for everything. You know, I'd set up sort of some dudes on top of a building, and like, oh, how do I get down from here? How do I, is it worth jumping down? All that sort of thing, and they were all easily explained in the rules. Yep, how you interact with terrain was very simple. Now, it says in the rules, you want to use a lot of terrain. Yeah, I'd so agree we, with that. Yeah, we we used uh, an infinity set of terrain. And I would say the terrain worked perfectly. Absolutely. It was a really competently written, easy to follow book that shows the experience um, that Joe has had you know, writing his other Frostgrave books is clear, and other games are Rangers of Shadowdeep, all his other games are clearly, uh, he has practice and has skill at writing games. So it was very easy to follow and, and you know, it was fun to play. Yeah. However, I think we've now got a big however coming up from us both. However, we? one of the big problems that I had, and I haven't played Frostgrave 2nd edition yet, I want to, the big problems I had with Frostgrave was just how swingy it can be. The powers in Frostgrave are really dynamic, literally explosive in some case powers. Um, and that was a big a big complaint people had using a D20. It could be really swingy. The powers are really extreme. So I feel like there's been an attempt to sort of tone that down. And I think this has been sort of detrimental. You still have the swinginess of the dice, but those powers that you have access to just... I always felt like I didn't really care if they went if I if they went off or not when I went to do them. Like I'll use my shield, I take three less damage. It really didn't feel like it. It mattered very much whether my powers went off or not. I don't know if you felt the same with your guys. Completely, I felt like quite often it was the the powers were. I'm not going to say underwhelming. I think I would say they were more ancillary i think it was much mm-hmm. more actually your gang is what really well your crew is what wins you the game yeah rather than your captain and your first mate whereas in my games of frostgrave it's almost like your wizard really wins you the game your yeah. apprentice might do something yeah what you're taking is actually can be a bit rubbish or it's like if oh, your opponent's got some like super troop like gang member you just use your wizard to take them out yeah um i think and also yeah i would say that was on the powers and i think the powers seem to be much more focused about either interacting with troops mm-hmm. like interacting with your crew or interacting with treasures and that sort of thing yeah so rather than like you move someone from one side of the board to the other with a piece of treasure or you move a treasure or this is like you yeah. move it four inches or like you move somebody like you can like teleport somebody but if you teleport them they immediately stand yeah like and then maybe like one of the best powers it might be something like you know 
you immediately you can like if you pass it you unlock a treasure token yeah like, you know you unlock a loot crate so then somebody can then go and download it or pick it up so i think and i also don't think there was that much differential between the different types of captain and yep. first mate then there is really like i played i had a veteran first mate and a tecker uh, sorry i had a veteran captain and a tecker first mate yeah there was no just i couldn't tell any difference between the two yeah whereas yeah. if i was put like in frostgrave if i was playing a elementalist and you were playing a necromancer we'd be having vastly different oh totally yeah i mean yeah, it, it didn't feel because you're choosing from a generic like a list of powers and some have some and you have to choose some from your list and then like one or two from outside your selected range of powers. And, and because most of the powers sort of range from like a, a eight to a ten to cast, there's some twelves. It's yeah. like there's really no sort of power that I can't really up to mind think of any of the powers that like you wouldn't take if they were out of your speciality because they would yeah. be too high to cast. Yeah. Like for for your captain, for your first mate, maybe because like if you're taking a twelve, it then becomes a fourteen to cast. Mm -hmm. But like there's enough powers of like eight, so you could take them. So your first mate's casting them on a ten. Yeah. So it's it's almost like, in a way, you just pick what powers you want regardless. Yeah. Of uh, I mean, I, I, in some ways, that's good. You don't want to have a situation where you're like, well, my first mate's never going to get this power off. Yeah. But I was but, just feeling that when I was getting the powers off, I was like, and? Yeah, as you said, you know, powers like I save three points of damage or I do an extra three points of damage. Yeah. Like, a lot of the, the, the powers I had were more like buff powers. So it was like, oh, this crew member now levitates for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. This crew member has a plus one shoot for the rest of the game. That kind of like the, the much more buffing your dudes rather than doing stuff on their own. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it was fine. I think where I would sort of like start drawing the negatives for me personally, what well, I didn't find the like difference I found really no difference in how any of the troops played. Yeah. I found because simply the only and even with the captain types, it was just a plus one or a minus one to a stat. Yeah. So it's like, oh like some of the equipment trying changes is quite difficult. Like if somebody's got a deck, then they're on a plus six to unlock a treasure token. That I complete that was what I was gonna say is like the the biggest thing was having either a pick or a deck yeah. so you can either get in the opening those crates the loot crates to get the stuff and that's a plus six to the roll it's probably more important than a plus one to your fight which is what uh, a five percent difference on a yeah. d20 roll it was yeah. it's huge and like and and the, having the, the plus one fight makes no difference when it comes down to rolling damage against your armor if you lose the roll. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, just quickly explain, with the loot tokens, if it's a digital or physical loot, you have to roll a 14 to unlock it. 
And so even if you ha if you have the plus six, if you have a deck or picks which give you plus six, you're needing an eight, which means it's fairly easy to unlock. Yeah. I had two characters which didn't have either of these on a loot token for four turns and with eight rolls didn't roll 114 or higher. Yeah. And, you know, I know statistically that's a little bit abnormal, but it, it sort of means how... But it happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, but whereas, like, my characters with, like, shotguns or, like, combat weapons and that sort of thing, it just didn't really make any difference to be plus one, like, a plus one damage or to be able to shoot twice with... Uh, rapid fire yeah because i i bought like a shooter guy and i bought a flamer guy because i wanted to try out the more powerful weapons and I, I flamed your guy for three turns and did nothing and it felt really weird this this is a flame from <laughs> i feel there should be some kind of effect maybe i played too much bolt action where flame was absolutely lethal um and the same with the shooter i just felt like i would have been better off just taking guys of carbines and and like a pick or a deck would be much better than having a a big gun. Coming away from it, I think that is because I, I I was I it was a good game to play, and I'm really glad we played it. I I, I really enjoyed playing it. It was really fun. I just don't know. I'm going to be that big guy Fieri here. Where's the spice? Yeah, I where's the think... spice? It's, you can't be tactical. Because the D20 is so random, it's so swingy. You can't be really very tactical, like, oh, I'll move this and this and get my super close combat guy there, and then it's going to... Because the D20 negates any tactics you have, because it's so swingy. There's no spice coming from the powers, because they're sort of not so overpowered. And the weapons just seem a bit underwhelming as well. So where do you get the spice, Tom? Yeah, I think, for me, I think the reason why I didn't really super engage with it, and I wouldn't be like badgering people to play it again in a hurry is I think I've realized I'm not a huge fan of just generic sci-fi just saying this is a cyborg doesn't really do it for me no mm -hmm. like if it was this is a t800 I'm much more engaged just yeah this is a cyborg not really that engaged and as you said that I'm pretty sure I don't actually like D20 based games which don't have a bazillion modifiers to like counter the swinginess of a D20 mm -hmm. because it's, it's you're so you have such potential for feast or famine it's either brilliant or it's nothing yeah you don't really have like a law of average. Uh, yeah. so, uh, obviously, you will have an average of about 10, but it's just, even then, when you're getting that 10, you're probably doing nothing. Whereas, even with like a D6 game, a lot of games on like a 4, you're doing something mm -hmm. before you start adding modifiers. And so that that's me. I think it's possibly, you know, not a huge fan of the D20 system. Didn't find the like absolute genericism of it particularly cool yeah uh, i do ha i would say though i can imagine it being a huge amount of fun if you've got like say a campaign day or something where you're playing like there's a bunch of you you're playing missions and yeah. there's like 
a world that you're playing in. Yeah. And and likewise, if you were playing, we were talking about Seven TV earlier. I can also imagine it like being quite cool if you're playing it, and you sort of like. I'm sure the rules like to with no real effort reskin it to play like Star Wars or Star Trek in mm-hmm. there. And you know, if you had, we had Klingons versus Federation away teams playing. I think that would be a lot more fun in a yep. way. You know, oh, you know, my my first mate Tekka is Geordie, and you know my veterans wharf or something that would be much cooler yeah because i think then for me as a player i've then got those points of reference to sort of help mm-hmm. with storytelling yeah whereas i know we had two friends who were playing on the table beside us and they were having a whale of a time like coming up with their own story on the fly yeah with whatever they were playing uh, i think yeah, I think that's that's where it has to come from. You have to bring um, with the spice of spice in this in this in this in this game. It's um, you have to have a campaign. I think you have to play several games or just three games in one day. Like when we had that uh, Frostgrove event, um, that was brilliant. I made a, a, a warband for it, played of it for that day. Great fun. You can make a story that way. And I think there's even extra items of equipment you can get as you progress. Different bonuses. Um, that you can get for your guys as you play the game. And I think that that's where you have to do it. You have to build that world yourself. That's maybe a little bit of work. And I can see a situation where maybe you play Infinity every week and you're like, oh, you know, this is a real tense game. I just want something where I can just roll a D20 and move guys around and, and have a, a bit of a laugh and drink a pint. And maybe that's exactly what you need is a less stressful game and more of a storytelling game. And this yeah. might be perfect for that. Yeah, I would imagine if like, even if you've just got one opponent and between you, you like come up with a world that you're playing on, you come up with like a reason why you're playing and actually start, you know, you will build the game that you're playing. I can imagine it being like a, a really quite good sandbox yeah. to sort of of play in um i just think for me i i don't think i've really got that sort i love that kind of gaming but i'd rather do it with other games i think at the moment yeah i i I feel like i'm being overly harsh (laughs) i'll be honest because it was a really it was a very competent game it played really well i had no issues with it um you know when we were playing it was it was clear um and we had fun playing the game and it just was like this is upper middle of the road (laughs) gaming but it wasn't quite just wasn't there quite i I think the second edition of this game could be incredible if we get a bit more oomph to the powers a bit more differential because like you're playing frostgrave and there's a big difference between an archer and uh, a templar and there's a big difference between, you know, uh, a man at arms and a barbarian. Yeah. And yet I didn't feel that way when I was playing with the guys I had. I just didn't feel like any of it made that much of a difference. Like even my flame guy didn't feel that much different from a guy armed with a pistol. No, no. And, I, 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 like, I don't know if that is because maybe we are both 
But you say, oh, this is a barbarian. We immediately have an image of what a barbarian is in our head. Yeah. And so that translates better onto the table, even if the rules don't necessarily marry that. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the, the only... I think maybe, like, the only troop crew member type that's sort of, like, really sort of, like, oh, I know exactly what that is, is a decker. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, know what a decker does. They're going to be, like, not very... You know, they're just going to be plugging in, doing stuff. They're going to... You know, they're going to need protecting while they're doing stuff. Um, but I suppose... Like, it's, I think it's really admirable, but it's all... Because sci-fi is such a... I think maybe, like, with, with something like fantasy with Frostgrave, it's pretty much Western fantasy. We know what fantasy is. It's been, you know, it, it's D&D slash, you know, fantasy that we've had for the last 80, 100 years. Sci-fi is so global oh, yeah, and so man. weird. And go like, right, do we go down the cyberpunk route? Do we do hard sci-fi? Do we do, like, aliens? What Do we do Star Trek? Do we do Star Wars? And to try and get that all in one book, would be really hard. Like I imagine, like if there is like a cyberpunk sort of expansion, which gives you, you know, street samurai and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. that might be really cool. Yeah. Same as if there's like a utopic one, which gives you Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe going down into the further genres might give it a little bit more meat to play with, rather than it being yeah. Like at the moment, like a really good sandbox for you to play with it when you like completely build it from the very bare bones mm-hmm. um when you haven't when you can be anything you're not you're not something <laughs> it's, i don't know like because it's trying to be it's being everything it's actually nothing a huge plus for it in my book was it was so easy to take down the club oh yeah 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 but i was, put a little yeah. box of guys and it was like so easy to transport and we had not played it before and we by the end of it we we knew we were playing the game. There was no issues. Yeah, straight away, like just it just so intuitive. Yeah, um, I, I would imagine it's one of those games. By game three, your rule book could possibly even stay in your bag. Yeah, and I said Apart I feel setting up for the missions. Oh yeah, and I said I feel like I'm almost feel like I'm being too much of a Debbie Downer on this one and being a bit mean because it is a really competent game. It's fine. Like it just. It was just that line between being so close, in my opinion, to being like something really, yeah. I think for me, I'm just pointing that down to personal taste. Yeah. Like, I, I agree. As a game, it does absolutely nothing wrong. It's a, I would say it's like it's a good game that just didn't quite hit it for me. And I think the reasons why it didn't quite hit it for me are personal choice and preference rather than anything mechanically or design wise yeah i mean and, i would i'd always change away from the d20 but i think that's like a core thing for that the grave series it's like you know and the people love that you're right people do actually love the fact that a d20 is like i don't have to have tactics because my plan is to roll a 20 every time yeah and i think as we review and look at more games and more different games I think it's we're probably going to have to like decide that sort of like our personal tastes of what we like game what we like is going to impact quite a lot in what we like and don't like. I think that's true. And I think probably 
maybe personal taste doesn't come in to gaming quite as much as you might think because we're probably as a hobby drawn to games that already sort of innately interest us oh that's something i'm oh that, yeah that ticks my true. boxes rather than like picking up a game that doesn't necessarily tick many of your boxes but going i'm going to try it anyway yeah i know well yeah it's better than i thought it was um so like i i don't want to be like as you see you know debbie downer on it it did nothing wrong just for me i mean um, i would i would definitely play it again and um Time to re- wheel out the uh, the ranking system. I would put it as an occasional game. You know, um, I didn't enjoy it as much as Men Who Would Be Kings. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel so almost coming off the back of that. I was like, while I was setting up, like when I was playing it, I was like, this is as good as Men Who Would Be Kings. Um, but it's definitely yeah, it's 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 a it's a fine game. It's fine. I think I think talking about Men Who Would Be Kings, I think is quite. That again, like used, I think that's like, I think when we mentioned it, when we talked about it, while that was still very generic and that you have even fewer troop types, you know, you have Mm -hmm. regular infantry, irregular infantry, you have like six troop types. But what gave that the flavor was just rolling on the table and going like, oh, this unit commander's ugly. (laughs) The famous ugly commander. And like, you felt like, Every one of our, every just even our unit commanders, seemed to have more flavour about them. When we played King, men who would be kings than our captains or first mates. Yeah, I mean, I went, I wrote up a quite a complicated kind of backstory for my crew because so I was like, oh, I want to put some work in to like help the story along. And in the end, I mean, we did have Carl, Captain um, First Lieutenant Karl Marx fighting a giant terror bird parrot. Yeah, um, which is brilliant. And we I did, did have uh, my uh, like robot Soviet exo armor suits that have been like reprogrammed as infiltrating commandos exactly. by the space Germans. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then when it got down to it, they were just slightly better at going pew pew. <laughs> yeah, it works out as ten percent extra or something, you know, on the dice roll because. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm 5% better than the guy who's... No. I just feel like that there should be, in the future, like future weapons should just be more... There should be a bit more devastation from the weapon. You, you want like an 800 megawatt plasma rifle. Yeah, something. Something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, you know, possibly like personal taste. Yeah. I think for me. So I, I would say it's an occasional game, but I would sort of caveat it like an occasional game slash special occasion game yeah almost like like i can't see me playing it in the next year unless somebody says oh we're going to have a stargrave day or something yeah then, then I, if somebody said yeah. that i would happily buy a ticket and play it oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean i guess i keep saying i didn't hate it yeah. i just i'm disappointed because i feel it could be i can see how it could be better yeah and, and that's why I, I think the second edition is going to be fantastic yeah I think that's a good place to leave it, really. The gallery. And here we are, Tom. Um, we're we're in the gallery, and we're we're both stripped to the waist, 
like the bare-chested berserkers of moderately entertaining um, podcasting. We've drunk the sacred mead. Uh, Tom's throffing at the mouth of excitement to take a stroll through the gallery and see what painted minis we have this week. Tom, what can you see at your end of the gallery? Well, I think one, one of the standouts for me is Benjamin's Yoda. Oh, oh yes. I mean, I'm painting brown and green. They're sort of very earthy tones, but that is uh, it's just it's such a nice. It's a tiny little guy, isn't he, Yoda? But it looks really nice. Really nice. It's a really nice model. Really nice. It's one of those sort of like a simple paint job. That's you know a, a really good paint job that looks simple, really crisp, and you know, just full of character. Yeah, I mean it's it's basically sort of two colours, isn't it? And yet it looks really good. I know we've said before about Benjamin's uh, Star Wars stuff previously. His um, Tie Fighter pilots—they're all black, and yeah. yet. He managed to get that contrast and colours. If you can make a black model that's just all different kinds of black, exciting. You're doing something right, Benjamin. So uh, maybe we should have some lessons on painting from Benjamin because his stuff always looks really nice. Um, speaking of Benjamins who have really nice looking models, I'm going to lead on to um, another Benjamin um, who's been painting some Stargrave and some Frostgrave models. Now, Benjamin, you're you another one who keeps turning out the models and they look really good. You did a couple of guys for your Stargrave crew and the objective marker. I really like the orange. It's kind of a, a very dark, futuristic look, sort of industrial, with like some bright colours there. Did, have you seen these ones, Tom? Yeah, I sort of really like how like the metal's sort of almost like where well, you made a sort of like ceramite sort of looking for on the cool metallic bases. These mm-hmm. sort, of, sort of like, for me, they have like an aesthetic of that sort of 80s sci-fi slash a little bit of grimdark sort of mm-hmm. quite cool you know they, they could have been like the baddies in space 1999 or yeah i could see them running on like to just die or like <laughs> in the background of some yeah like, rogue trader artwork or something they look really oh yeah nice uh, i want to see old laser effects going off yeah and benjamin's wizards for frostgrave as well, including the sculpt with the questionable hairstyle, I think. It's White Snake probably... Wizard. Wow! <laughs> yeah, loving it. Loving it. I mean, again, Benjamin's another, I said, another guy who turns out great minis all the time. And these Frostgrave, I love the Baba Yaga. Um, there's so much character in that. It's a simple model. Again, so much character. And that glowing green potion, I think it is. And it looks just, I think it looks phenomenal. Yeah. Well, jealous. Well, gel. Jelly and ice cream. Then. Uh, are we are we moving on to the, is it time for the Warren segment of the show? The, the, the Warren segment with some update on his Romans. The Warren report. <laughs> and um, I'm painting these exact same minis at the moment. And I, I'm just <laughs> going luck, to. Tom. You got, I'm expecting better than Warren standard now. <laughs> and like, um, I'm pretending Warrens don't exist. Because <laughs> so. like, we'll say Warrens are the grown-up edition of them, and mine are going to be the primary school version. Um, these are cracking. There's, oh, I love you again. There is. You know, I, I saw at the weekend. I don't know if anybody else saw it uh, floating around online. For the Meg World Championship, the winner received a command unit 
of some painted Romans in a display case that had been done by some like world famous painter. Like the command unit that Warren posted mm -hmm. is as well, if not even slightly better painted than that unit. It's easily as well painted. It there is Yeah. They're fantastic. Yeah, I mean I've got he must be sick of us. Uh, we might have to not mention Warren anymore because people are getting so. He's hit every. He's like the third host of the show with all this stuff. He looks so good. <laughs> but um, yeah, Warren, fantastic. Keep up the work. Love seeing it. Don't stop posting it, please, because um, we all love seeing them. Um, and I also like how he sort of managed to bring a little bit more character to the models as well by doing some slight conversions mm -hmm. to them and that sort of things. So they're, they're really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing yours, Tom, and, and comparing and contrasting because you don't have to be, you don't have to paint them the same. You can do them your own way and different styles and they can look just as good. And, you know, time factor as well. I, I don't know how long Warren took to paint these, but. I, I, I will photograph mine from at least a meter and a half away and then we'll I will see photograph it from a separate room <laughs> through a door. Mine, by the time I photograph them on the potato camera, They'll probably be all right. Anyway, they'll just have slight enough blur in them to. Well, you you've got some Romans that I gave you, haven't you, uh, Tom? Maybe we should put those up and let people see see those. But you know, they are service. I painted them like serviceable level. I was like, okay, get these tabletop ready, and there's nothing to be ashamed of of, of just you know getting an army tabletop ready. I think we've, we've spoken before about you know just painting bravely, getting on and um, just just getting on and painting those models and just trying your best and you know we can't all be we can't all be warren but i don't want us to all be warren i want different you know different styles well, I, out there yeah i think that's that's really important like i think maybe like the most important thing to remember is like a painted model is infinitesimally better than gray plastic there's that meme, isn't there, with Captain Jack Sparrow, and is is the guy says to him, "These are by far the worst painted models I've ever seen." And Captain Jack Sparrow is going, "Ah, but they are painted," and that's that's important. Yeah, I, I, and also it's the, as we've mentioned quite a lot, not everybody can be a fantastic painter because it's a skill set, and not everybody yeah. is that skilled. We can, everybody can do a serviceable tabletop paint job. And yeah. that's what we do now, even if we go right back to our episode when we had Ricky on. Yeah. You know, talk, you paint so that you're happy with the job that you've done. That's yeah. what's important about painting. Yeah, only like, ever painting for yourself. Unless you are, and I, obviously there's the, you might be entering competitions. That's something different. If you're painting three models a year for a, and each one for a competition, that's something entirely different to getting armies ready for a battlefield. If you're just getting for a battlefield, then it's... You have to be happy with what you're turning out. That's the only person you have to please. Yeah, and like I, I painted, but the, the models I've been pa happiest painted recently are the Judge Dread judges. Mm -hmm. I painted all five of them in an afternoon. Yeah, really, and they look really, they look really nice. The Falsham Jaeger I spent hours on. They're all right. Um, so you know, it's horses, of courses. Yeah, and I think maybe chatting about this to paint not to paint and how you paint is a good segue into our listener question indeed listener questions so today's listener question is looking at board games and mm -hmm. do you paint board game miniatures if your game comes with miniatures now there are 
a lot of games out there. I think more so sort of a blurring of the line between miniature war gaming and board gaming at the moment. Lots and lots of games that use lots and lots of really nice. In fact, along Kickstarter, often that's, I think that's a way they sell the game is actually by the quality of the, the miniatures in the game. I think of the last five years or so, I think there's been an awful lot of board games which have been sold really, especially on Kickstarter. As This is like several hundred miniatures. What do you think to the miniatures? The game is slightly incidental. Well, it's almost, um, you know, like a, a safety blanket or something. It's like, you know, you know, the minis are going to be good. So if the game is a bit rubbish, you know, you've got the minis to yeah. use. And I we... think, sorry, go on, Andy. Because you, if you buy a game, you have you have no idea until you play. You can read reviews, but as we've, you know, experienced ourselves sometimes you know everyone has their own personal tastes in games yeah and like even gw you know they they release games where you know an awful lot of people just buy the minis and you know how many people bought betrayal at calf or prospero burns to play the game or actually bought it for the miniatures yeah is, I, um, I have a real i wonder how many people bought that game and actually played the game because yeah i did and i never did <laughs> no i think i bought four copies of I think I bought two copies of each mm-hmm. don't think I actually ever even undid the game parts cellophane so yeah so I think it de- for me I think it very much depends on is it a game you're actually going to play as the whole game and is it one of these games where you're going to play a campaign and so there's logical progression. So, you know, you're doing some sort of like dungeon dive game and, you know, right, session one, I need seven goblins, a ghoul and a random gribbly mm-hmm. to get those painted up. Then, you know, right, session two, I need a succubus, three fishmen and a frog to yeah. get those painted up. I think there is, I know... Like down the club or from friends, there are people who do that. They you know they paint up what they need for each session yeah. because the game has it broken down. This is what you need for each session. Like, yeah, like Dark Souls, I think is is that, isn't it? I think Aiden, yeah. hi Aiden. You um, you painted up, you paint the model up. They buy the model. It's like an encounter box. I don't guess who doesn't play the game. Um, and there'll be like a big model in there. You paint it up and you play that scenario that came that little expansion box with that model in, and he. He painted up a big gribbly demon thing with a it looked amazing, uh, but I think part of again is the attraction of that was was having this this model. Yeah, I, I think also I think probably a lot of it depends on how involved you are in the game, mm-hmm. how many minis they are, and the replayability of the game. Because mm-hmm. like some games nowadays have hundreds of like the you know, I've seen games which come with like. 50 versions of the same Skellington yeah. and it's like right if you're going to play that game a lot and you need loads of Skellingtons maybe paint them up or give them a very simple paint job if you're going to play it once and it goes yeah it's not really a brilliant game yeah I think there's a cost reward isn't there like how long is it going to take you to paint those models how often are you going to play the game if you just enjoy painting models go crazy um for me the ideal kind of Paint your minis for the game. Game, be Hero Quest. I was just about to mention Hero Quest. I was going to say, <laughs> I, I think there are like some games, which like in a way have to be in in a way 
maybe like the cultural expectation of gaming have to be painted and like hero quest and i think i would all like i haven't painted up my hero quest yet fully and i think all like i would say as you know a person rapidly approaching 40 and a nerd having a painted hero quest set is one of those things that you have if you're a war gamer or mm-hmm. like a nerd you know it, it's of it is if you play even if you don't play many board games or don't really are a board gamer you's probably you still probably played hero quest yeah and it's just one of, and i think because it has the it's a similar if you play talisman or any of those sort of like maybe the more classic games you paint up more because yeah. there are fundamentally less minis I mean, if I could actually get hold of a, a copy of Hero Quest for a reasonable price, you know, may, I might paint the minis. But you know, I think that the biggest barrier there is probably getting hold of a copy for less than a hundred pounds. Um, I think, I think mine, you're right there. I think, I think mine right was, now. I think mine was thirty, but yeah. it's missing the altar, so I need to buy an altar from somewhere. Well, st- I mean, this actually brings me to another point. I was going to say is that you can have a game that hasn't got very good minis, but you can get them 3D printed, Tom. Lots of people have STL files, go speak to your friend that's got a 3D printer and they can knock out some incredible models and then maybe they could do double duty uh, and do some work in your, you know, I've got an altar here which works in HeroQuest, but it's also could be used as an objective in a 40k chaos army. I don't know, I'm just randomly spitballing ideas here, but, you know, there are some games that have, like, I would not sit down and paint the Monopoly pieces, for example. No. I would not. That would seem. I mean, I wouldn't play Monopoly. It's a terrible game. Spoilers. Never going to play it again. But there's some games that lend themselves to, you know, a few models that are really nice. Paint those up, and others, I think, yeah, just you just don't want to paint. But yeah, have a look at 3D paint printed if you want uh, an altar for your Hero Quest. I, I will do. But also, I, I think again, it, it depends also on the manufacturer of the game because some board games. And it's come with like opposing forces will be in a different color plastic. Mm. So if if you've got like smaller scale gribblies, side A might be red plastic, side B might be blue plastic. They, you know, you you can play it with those. If you've got both sides are gray plastic, you are you know you need to put some paint on them in some way to differentiate. One I would even say you, if you could just spray them white and use contrast paint, if you really just want to have red versus blue, if you're like, do you know what? I just want a color to differentiate them between the two. No, or even just prime them. Yeah. Just just rattle cam prime them in a different color. Or even if you ha- like, if we go back to that example of hundreds of skeletons, if you just wanted to sort of like right i want to, i've got these 50 skeletons or like i think there was a conan game that came with like two or three hundred minis mm-hmm. if you go how do i make these look slightly better than they are now just even just you know rattle cam prime them touch them with a zenith highlight it would look just better than oh yeah yeah zenith would look really nice i the number of times i've zenith i've just done their star wars models i've just done a bit of zenith on them and i was like um, I kind of like them in this black and white. Well, I'm not sure I, I want to actually, actually paint them. When you put those the picture of those stormtroop, the zombie stormtroopers up, I actually thought you'd finish them. No, just black and a, and a white. I thought they look really nice. And, you know, even if everybody 
if you've bought a board game, everybody has the can then buy a black and a white rattle can. Take them outside, take them to, you know, if you don't have a garden or a balcony, take them to the park or wherever. Hit them with the black, you know, depending on how fancy you are, give them 24 hours to dry or give them five minutes. Yeah. Then hit them with the white. That will look infinitesimally better than if they were just bare plastic and has taken you five minutes to do 100 models. That's yeah, definitely. That. Or you can sit down and paint each one as if you're painting an army. It's entirely up to you. Or you can just leave them as is. I mean, yeah. I have so many models to paint that I have not turned my attention to board games. Yeah, I must be honest. I've got a few board games and models in, and I've got the Cthulhu Pandemic game. And yeah, I would love to have those models painted up, but it's just too much. I've got. Too many things to paint. Maybe that's one of my projects for next year. But uh, yeah, don't feel too bad if you haven't painted your board game models, I think is what I'm saying. No, I, I would never count like unpainted board game models like in my sort of like the things I've got to paint yeah. pile because it's just I don't think it's expected. No, and it's a nice it's a nice thing to do if you and if you've got the confidence to do it as well. I wouldn't say if you are not confident in your painting skill. Then maybe don't go on to your board game models quite yet. Yeah, like if, if you've never painted anything small and you've got a copy of like Perry Travel Battle, keep them in the blue and red plastic. Yeah. Right. Also, if you don't have the paints, because you've oh, I've not got a British or a French Napoleonic paint set colours. I haven't got the colours for them because they always paint fantasy stuff. Mm-hmm. Why well, actually go? There's probably no point really paint. 30 quid for two paint sets when the game's only like 40 quid. I think if you enjoy painting and it increases and improves your experience of the game, then there's nothing wrong with it. I think that's a great point to end on, really. You know, does it improve your enjoyment of it? I think, like so many of these questions we have, it comes down to once again, it's personal choice. Yeah. <laughs> personal choice and enjoyment. If, you, if it's a game that you've never played and you don't like, you actually go, this game's slightly rubbish. Yeah. All the time that you've put in painting the minutes before you've played it is wasted time. Yeah, I'd say definitely play the game first. You might want to sell it if you don't enjoy it. Well, that's why I think somewhere like Hero Quest really comes in because you know it, it's a timeless game. Some of us have been playing it for thirty years, yeah. even though we hardly ever play it, and it's just ooh, you know who who's getting the minor tool, sort of. You know, it, it's just. Yeah, I know um, another Ben often puts up pictures of on our group of his um, his Hero Quest models he, as he finishes them, and it's always I'm always like, oh nice, as an orc, oh nice as a Fimir, or oh nice as a goblin, or whatever it might be. It's nice to see, and of course the dwarf is best, as we all know. As, yeah, we'll take your word for that one. That's that, that, that's Andy's hot tip. The dwarf is best. I always play as the dwarf because the dwarf is the best. Celebrity interview. Hello, listeners. Joining us today, we've got Ronnie Renton, CEO of Mantic Games. And he's known as some of you might know him from his time at GW. So, morning, Ronnie. Hi, Tom. Good to speak to you. Hi, everybody. You've been involved with the hobby in general so since you were at school both as like a hobbyist 
and a businessman. I read somewhere that you know you'd sort of become a GW stockist while you were yes, still at exactly. school. Yes, exactly. Fourteen. That's right. Because uh, we couldn't get any good supply of miniatures, and now you know the people in the local toy shop had no idea what they were buying. So I knew what everyone armies were. So I just started buying it, and then come around from house on a Saturday or buy it in the school playground. So, so now with like the huge success that is Mantic, are, are you still you know a hobbyist that enjoys building, painting, and playing with toys? I do actually, interestingly, as my uh, two levels, I think on one level, my third child uh, is is got all of the right geek tendencies. And so he's happy to play a game and happy to have some fun. So um, I play with him, which is good fun. And it was one of those days you realise the waking up, the growing up when we started playing. We had a, the Walking Dead game was kind of his favourite because he'd read the comics and um, bad parenting. But there we are. And uh, we'd got this Call to Arms, which is the war game version. He set up, I set up, and I thought, well, I'll give him a couple of turns to get in and also a couple of turns to remember the rules. And then, you know, we'll see where it is and I'll judge it from there. And so I was cautiously messing about. He blasted one round, shot one of my guys, killed him. Another turn, I've lost another one. And then I realised, I'm going to get my ass handed to me on a plate here. <laughs> um, so... It was great because actually, you know, if he beat me, absolutely, there's nothing I could do to pull it around. He like, beat me, danced off, went onto his Xbox and carried on playing. And I'm sat there like nursing an absolute thrashing at a game that I'm supposed to be good at. Uh, so that was nice because you're spending time with him doing something yeah, slightly my hobby, but it's, it's father-son time. Um, and they've all had a bit of that, but he, there's good fun there. And then actually, if I wake up early on a Saturday morning, and I'm getting excited about a project. Like when The Walking Dead came out, I sprayed them all up, I painted them. I've just done a Kings of War army in lockdown last year, and I did the terrain. And then I'm just doing, Dead Zone's just coming out. I probably not should have said that yet, but anyway, Dead Zone 3 is coming out. It's awesome. In the past, I've built the War Games table as a ruined city, because that's the easiest. And I'm now building it as a abandoned city. So like, during the pandemic, the plagues hit, everybody's dead, and now the rats and the enforcers are, are fighting over it, but it's not ruined, it's, it's, it's still complete. So I'm really enjoying that. So I don't do as much, I don't, I don't do six projects a year, I do one or two, but when I've, when I've got a vibe for it, it, it I find it, you know, kind of that, it takes me relaxing. The, the challenge is, you know, if it's too worky, if I'm doing it because we've got to get it done, then it's it's work. And when you've been doing that all day for 12 hours, coming home and doing it anymore is quite hard. But you know. Do you have, it seems some of the other people who uh, have game companies behind them will sometimes sort of like channel in projects that they want to do or that they find interesting or sort of like personal passion projects, which might become sort of like model ranges or even whole game systems. Do you do that? with Mantic as much or do you or more I think more an ethos rather than a specific game system because I think we're kind of committed to fantasy sci-fi and licenses Um, but I want our games to be very playable Uh, um, I want them to be a game that within two turns you've got I love Backgammon I love Othello those are the type of games that you learn quickly but there's a lifetime of playing because you play different players and you play different ways and you take new strategies to it. And um, I don't like rule systems where you need to remember lots and lots of rules in your head and be checking the rule book. 
Some people love those games. They're very you know, historically accurate. You know, I think our Kings of All Historical had you know, the opening paragraph. <laughs> this is not a historically accurate war game. It's a really quick game of smashing those guys against those guys, but you're going to have to take some serious liberties. But you'll, you know, you're playing two hours and it'll be good fun. So I think there's an ethos that I do try and bring to our games and I steer clear from going too deep. That doesn't mean that, you know, I still think backgammon for me is a better game than chess because there's that random element of those dice that you've got to factor that into your thinking. Um, I still like chess, but I like backgammon more. Um, and then, of course, one of the other things is when we're looking for licenses, there is some things. That, it happens one of two ways. Either I read The Walking Dead, I read Hellboy, and I thought these would be awesome and went to pursue the license. There's others where I've met someone at one of the licensing shows, then gone and read the comics or gone and started playing a computer game and fallen in love with the license. And then, then we start making that game. So, you know, it, it, sometimes it's it, the overlap between what you're doing for a hobby and then what becomes the company output does overlap. But it's not quite as much as I'm a historical war gamer. I like the War of Spanish Succession, and I'm going to make the War of Spanish Succession rage. Yeah. Um, so, like, as a bit like I would describe myself as sort of like a hobby butterfly, and that I sort of float all over and play loads of different games, loads of different sets, loads of different companies. What I would sort of see when I, I look at a Mantic game and play a Mantic game, especially Kings of War, to me it seems like I really like that it's it's stripped out a lot of the faff. Of, of both the rules faff and the cost of playing mass rank and flank fantasy battles. Because I'm one of these people who... I, I played Warhammer Fantasy from a teenager well into my 20s. Yep, I and see. it got to the point of trying to get a new friend into this game when you're going, yeah, put three weeks' wages in to get an army is not... Yep. It's a hard sell for anyone. Whereas you know, if you want to pick up Kings of Water Day, you, know, you do the mega armies for all your 17 factions, like £110, aren't they? Yeah. Is that trying to limit both like the cost of actually the armies, but also how many rules and supplements and things you need, part of that core ethos of a Mantic game? Exactly. Exactly, exactly that. And I think there's, you know, it even goes beyond that. But, yeah, it's got to be affordable. Uh, it, it's got to be easy. You know, if you buy that mega army, you're going to have a whole heap of fun building it, assembling it, even if you don't play it. You know, um, and there is fun in just you know painting and building. We all do it. We all do that more than we play often. And I want it to feel like you've had your money's worth, even if you take it no further. And you think, well, what can I get for 100 quid? You know, and you take, well, a couple of tickets to a Premier League game. That's without the T-shirts and the food at the show and the travel to the show. You know, one ticket a day out of football league, a thing again. All right. Um, and actually, if you do it, you'll have hundreds of hours of fun, or tens of hours of fun building it, and then you get to play it. And playing it, can I play it? Yeah. How many books do I need? One. You know, get one, and you're going to have a really good game. Maybe after the rule book's been out a couple of years, you might need the latest update. But the first five games, you don't. Because the army lists are in the book. You only need that if you're playing seriously and you think, oh, it's a bit overpowered and I'm playing game 10. and Oh, oh, we've comped it out. And, you know, interestingly, 
it goes even further if you follow the ethos. When I painted this, this Kings of War army, I think everyone knows that the reason that the pandemic happened was that I nearly finished painting an army, you know, which means the, the, you know, the world was going to stop spinning and, um, you know, nearly painted the pile of lead. Um, this army I started a couple of years ago, I glued, I glued the figures together. I did the base because you move the whole base. The figures never come off the base. I glued them on. I sprayed it black and I painted what I could see. If you go in close, yeah, it's a shocking paint job, you know, it's not. But I'll tell you what, when you put it down and I've got 20 units lined up and they've all got the same color scheme, and the same basing scheme, I've got an army. And it's about what do you have time for? How do you want to do it? Some of the guys are making Kings of War armies with conversions because it's affordable. You can buy two or three sets and smash it together and do incredible things. You know, there's others that want to get it painted, get it on the gaming table and play the hell out of it. You know, painting is a necessary evil. Whichever way you want to dip in, it's going to be easy for you to do, approachable, playable. You've not played it for six months, you pick your army up, you go to a tournament, you still, you know, have a good day. Yeah, and I know during lockdown, Andy painted up the uh, Abyssal Dwarf Major yeah. Army, and he yeah. was the same. He was like, do you know what? I'm not going to bother painting the shoes. Yeah. yeah. But by the time I've flocked him, you can't see him. Yeah. But what does it matter? I'm on a base, but I'm going to paint, you know, faces and bases, faces and bases. Bosh, bosh, bosh. There it is. Got the armour. Got a theme. I'm painting an army. I'm not painting 200 individual figures. So would you definitely sort of describe yourself as a, a, an army painter rather than a, a figure painter? Oh, yeah, definitely now. I mean, when I was a kid, I, you know, every figure and everything, you know, oh, my God, you did the same thing three times. It's still not very good. But, you know, you went over it, but it was the painting and the, the isolation of it. The, the, but, but now, yeah, I, I like, I, I love a bit of terrain. You know, my lockdown project was finished my dwarfs, were nearly done, but... We had a load of really nice terrain at the Mantic HQ. Uh, we had some of these nice um, secret weapon tiles, but they weren't very well. They weren't very well painted. All the buildings had got chipped a bit, and everything else. The trees weren't on the wood, so they weren't very useful. So I took it all away. And you know, because you weren't going anywhere or doing anything, I had some time in the week and the evenings and weekends. I just, you know put extra resin water in all the rivers and everything else. So it was, I do, I am very much for me, the visual impact of the game is probably uh, the high point. You know, when you first get down there and put your eyes and you stand behind your dwarf army and you can see the enemy on the other side of the battlefield and it looks beautiful. I'm like, this looks gorgeous. Should we roll the dice? See who wins and go to the pub? <laughs> yeah. Uh, not quite, but you know what I mean? I did, those are the moments where, in my head, the cinema map is happening. Dead Zone is the same. So it's not an army painter. It's painting for the for creating a little cinematic moment, for creating a story. and then, But, but like a good computer game, you don't know how the story's going to end because you get up there, you line your sniper up, and he rolls bloody snake eyes and misses, and then a grenade comes over the top and he gets blown off. But then the other guy comes around and takes it. Yay! And so it's that that I'm trying to create both in the games and for myself is that your army painting is the set building, your terrain is the set building for the game that's going to create something that is memorable that you remember and you're in the pub afterwards going, oh, you know, when I rolled that, I thought I'd got you, and then you did that. That was brilliant. 
I would describe myself as almost like exactly the same. Quite often, it's you know, if I was like divided my time up between like the time of like thinking about stuff, building it, painting it, and actually gaming with it, it's you know, the gaming's infinitesimally tiny. It's you know, it's yeah. almost like incidental. Doesn't really matter. But that's sort of like the cinematic aspect of things. It's something else that sort of I found like Kings of War and the idea of the multi bases lends itself to because you can make if you like terrain and that sort of being the more cinematic, you can make every unit a little diorama, can't you? Yes, when yes. You, you've got, especially some of the like the Legion bases, yeah. sort of, you know, you've got a lot more room to sort of play right. around with how you're basing your figures right. than on a 25 mil square or right. a 20 mil square. As soon as you break that, and actually I've got it here, oh, I can't show you, but I've got a, um, when I realized I was, I was only ever gonna play Kings of War again, which was after first edition, um, I realised I was never going to need 25 mil bases again. I'd had someone painted a Bissell Dwarf army for me at the time. and But I, I'd sent all the bases and, you know, then I put them on movement trays and I thought, I don't need to do that. And I went away, glued all of the figures onto the movement trays. And suddenly I realised I wasn't playing with 200 figures, I was playing with 10 units. So when I started my Dwarf army, the basing became almost the best part of it. Because that's what themed the army, the colour scheme. The, 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 and then by the end, I'm doing these little regiment sets with a rock in the middle of it with a dog on the top. And it's totally each one is a little story. So it builds that storyline. You're writing your commander's name, Commander So-and-so, and he's leaving his seventh unit of this and the 14th Panzer Grenadiers of that and the heavy you know, dog unit of that. And it, this whole story's coming out. And then you look at each vignette. Painting might not be great. It's all right. But actually, the whole theme comes together as a, you know, I just want to read about this. I want to play this. I want to interact with it. It's it's cool. And um, and 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 because the rule system is designed in such a way, turn one and two, you, you're manoeuvring for position. And Kings of War is a lot about position. So it's dead zone. And you're trying to get your positions, and there's a bit of shooting, and you're trying to get that shot off that stops their advance or takes out that hard unit and really takes away their their punch tactical level three and four you get into it you know their heavy recovery hits you you hold or you don't hold but in those turns we've got this rule that if you always roll a double six the unit's wavering so if you put a shit whack on them even it's one wound i didn't expect a shot so they kind of have that moment to pause which can back up their whole army similarly no matter how much double damage you're in you roll the snake eyes that unit's going nowhere it's Custer's last stand. They're hanging on for the last minute. Now, because it's a one in 36, it happens a little bit more often than necessary would. Now, in the third edition, they've made it that even if you do stay, you're actually only a half strength. But that makes a massive difference to the battlefield because that other generals thought they're coming off and I'm going to sweep into them. But no, they hold. Those are the cinematic moments. They're the moments you remember from your game. When the dice just don't go, and what's worse is you've rolled the roll and you couldn't, you, you rolled the double one and you've let their enemy stay there and you're like, ah, roll it again. So um, the games support that cinematic stuff. That's pretty They're definitely the roles that sort of stay with you. And I know I can think of like tournament games I've played donkeys of years ago. It's like, oh, so you, you fluff a roll, so you have to like roll on the table or what happens and you roll that 12 so you, your men leg it and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's 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 the moment, isn't it? That's the that's the that is the, and 
if you're a very good player playing against a very poor player, that won't matter because you'll have an outmaneuvered them. You'll have got your flank attacks in. Um, it will just delay the inevitable. And if you're two good players, it's the mistakes and those dice rolls that swing it. But that's kind of why we're doing it. Because if I see a mistake, I'm going to take you on it. And therefore, that makes the likelihood less likely. But then the other thing that just is not in your control is the dice. Have you done the hits? Have you got the wound? And then even when you've done everything right, that bloody double one comes up and, ah, ah, ah. Well, can you recover from it? It throws you the loop. That's what that's what makes the game, I think, great. It, it, you know, people say, oh, when are you hearing of it? Well, we're just not because that's, tell you what, when you've walked away, you'll remember those moments, both the moments you saw them make a mistake and you exploited it, or the moments that bit of luck played in your favour because they didn't get the role and there weren't those other ones, but they give you moments of high drama, which I think game playing's about. Yeah, and I, I think it also sort of, it always gives you something, even if you're, you know, you said earlier on when you're playing, you're suddenly you, you were on your way to sort of like a table, and <laughs> quite often it's, if you're playing a game which just can sort of like snowball that, it's no fun to be on the other side of it. And I know I, I've quite often, you know, been accused of looking like I'm sucking on a wasp when I'm just sort of <laughs> waiting to be tabled. <laughs> Yeah. Where so sort of like having games which have systems in place which are sort of like even if it is you know like a one in thirty six chance of well hopefully something will go wrong that gives me an in. If they, if they hold, I'm looking for snake eyes. I'm looking for snake eyes. And don't forget you've got your you know you get your leadership, get your general close by, roll it again because <laughs> I'm looking for that snake eyes. Well, there you two two in thirty six chance because that's the role that needs it. And because our games are quite balanced, even a tabling is either very very quick. <laughs> Or doesn't generally happen because they'll hold for a certain amount of time. But uh, yeah, even there, you still you've still just got that chance that you can pull it off, and then 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 they're engaged, and then that unit that you lined up gets that flank attack, and suddenly their big strike unit that was going to plough through your army isn't going to. Now the top players there, and they've got something to challenge themselves. Okay, how am I going to recover from this? That's generalship, you know. When you read the stories about Waterloo. You know, we didn't go over there and punch Boney on the nose, and it was a, a given from morning to night. You know, at eleven o'clock in the afternoon, eleven o'clock to o'clock in the afternoon, we were hanging on by our fingernails. They were broken. You know, then the Prussians turned up, and okay, now like here we go. There was this back and the forth and the mistakes, and but it was a it was a battle. It was a it was a real battle, and that's what you want. Yeah. So, um, like King of the War historical, which you mentioned earlier, so that, that came out back in two thousand sixteen. Exactly. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, you you said, you know, it started off with you know the big, like disclaimer. This isn't <laughs> historical like it. But I, I think you maybe like did itself. You did it a little bit of a disservice there because hardly any historical game is really utterly historical. And I think you know the 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 games that do strive to be historically accurate are borderline unplayable. Definitely, like I would say not fun to play because they take months or you care more about like how much water your field kitchens have got for boiling pasta than you <laughs> do for anything else yeah so like are there any and it's sort of like just in in this chat it seems you're obviously like a fan of history and military history are, are there any sort of plans for sort of like more historical games of times or licenses 
Yes. So, I mean, Kings of War historically is on our list of, you know, at some point in third edition, let's go do it. And occasionally it bubbles up. A few people come and say, we'll do it. You know, we've got a manuscript and all those things. Um, and then I just have to go and talk to the historical war games companies and say, well, you buy a few. And they'll go, yeah. And I'll go, OK, let's just get it done. But at the moment, we're so, we've been so busy with both just getting our release schedule and then all of the challenges that the pandemic has thrown up that any kind of fun, fun projects have just had to take a backseat. So uh, there's the... Definitely finding a license um, that was unlocked a, a, a historical genre and allowed us to bring a game would be awesome. I'd love to do that, you know, and that definitely is a something we've looked at. Usually the licenses would be set in a historical setting, but with a or a futuristic setting with a slight kick. You know what I mean? They usually look like they're going to have a um, slight, you know, mythology twist on it or whatever else or sci-fi twist on it or alternative alternative past, alternative future. But, you know, good fun and we're well equipped to do it. So, um, you know, that was, that was my degree. And that's, you know, before Warhammer at nine years old, I played Napoleonics for a few years and I was at the reenactment of the 2015 Waterloo battle, which was fantastic. So... Uh, yeah, I've got some. And my, I think my stag do was in in Normandy, so uh, I've got a few leanings towards a few historical war games. Good to know. So jumping back a little bit now to terrain, as you was obviously you were, you know, during pandemic you were tidying up your terrain and so the terrain crate idea that Mantic do, um, I'm like a huge fan of because you sort of do both the like. The basics of like the buildings, the ruins, the sci-fi stuff, and then you do the scatter terrain yeah. sets that allow you to, you know, customize your you know, the furniture and the bits of debris and stuff that you can scatter about. So your your table doesn't look like a thousand and one other tables. Um, so like, have you found, and like also like those things that are, like I do quite a lot of playing like D and D and yeah. that sort of stuff. So the you know the forges and the bookshelves and chairs and tables are always really sort of useful um is there sort of any more chance of there i know you do some of the, the battlefield in a box terrain sets is there sort of any ideas of maybe doing those for like a skirmish table where you want like a lot of terrain on like a three by three and then like split spread it out a bit more on a six by four because now you do some deals with two of the sets don't you like yeah absolutely watch this space so when and, and perfectly timely plug because we are literally just about to relaunch the sci-fi sets. Um, and what we've, you know, exactly, exactly as we identified, what we've kind of got is a we, when we did terrain create one that that ticked two boxes for us. One D and D. Here is a full range of D and D. Um, very useful items. They were in resin. That means they got broke. They were expensive individually. You have to go to multiple suppliers. Suddenly, dungeon depths, 70% of all you're going to need for most adventures. Uh, and the adventures create on it, and you're well on the way to a really great set of terrain, keeping the box. We also did the fantasy historical battlefield set. Fences, hedges, um, 
gates, um, campsite, a few interesting things that made it quite good, but the scattered terrain, not the buildings. Terrain Crate 2, we did the same for contemporary war games and World War II. A little bit World War One, but really World War Two. French villages blown up, French villages not blown up. Um, Gothic manor houses and um, uh, 1980s shopping malls, 2000 shopping malls and a uh, little bit damaged, but mostly there because you can use the other stuff. And, and the zombie apocalypse, the modern apocalypse feels like it's ruined buildings, not destroyed buildings. Obviously, we've got the sci-fi buildings where you actually can build the buildings, which are really popular, and we just keep adding to those. So uh, were we to do a Dead Zone game any time in the next couple of months, um, it may well come out with a new hard plastic sprue, which gives you a load of um, signs and awnings and all the things that you can put on those hard plastic things to make it just look so much more cool. And that's what I'm playing with at the moment. Um, we're looking at some MDF buildings of a historical type where you can then take the forge and glue it together. And suddenly you've really got a, a, a you know, a, a blacksmith's thing because there's certain bits that in MDF are brilliant, walls and roofs, but some bits that are awful, like building the forge, which is 73 parts just to build the forge or glue ours on the side. And so we're just... But we are going to keep investing in it. We love it. We're going to do more. Were you asking specifically about sci-fi or historical or contemporary? Uh, well, selfishly, yeah, um, historical because I'm a fan of like I like most of my terrain that I built at home, which I'm slowly building up. Is sort of middle ages ish because I don't think I can play. You know, you can walk around a. a French village today that looks like it might be straight out of the Middle Ages, yeah. or, or it's some future world in yeah. the past, and you can play Ancients on it if you still yeah, will. Disney World it's on more it. It's got roof tiles. It's, yeah, well, it's, just, it's the Disney version of it. Here's the historical, it was a, it's a holiday resort. Yeah, because um, which sort of like leads me into sort of like my, my sort of second follow up question, really, on uh, terrain. So, like with lockdown, you know, social distancing, and sort of all these over the last couple of years. So I know in our club, we've seen a lot more interest in sort of solo play yeah. and people actually starting thinking about playing at home rather yeah. than just always down the club. Yeah. And I, I know gaming is very different around the world, but I think in Britain, especially since like I, I live in London now, used to live in Derbyshire, but it seems like there's a lot of emphasis people play down the club rather than at home. But yeah. I think there would be now people are more starting to think about playing at home. I don't know if you've seen anything like that. With sort of seen a bit. I mean, interestingly, when the pandemic first hit, um, we realised that people were not going to be able to get their hobby fix, like you're talking about down the club, yeah. and our Kings of War tournaments were not going to happen. Which, of course, we launched Kings of War in October, November 19. Everyone had just got it. They'd seen the new, they built the new armies. Uh, January comes around, you start the tournament scene, and we've got your team in the US, but I'm in the UK, we've got two great tournament scenes. The Aussies are going great. I went over to Oz to, to see the Masters Clash of Kings down there. Another great scene. Everyone's just getting excited for like the best year of Kings of War ever, brand new, fresh game. Bosh, pandemic hits. 
he ain't playing Kings of War, you know, because it's a uh, it's ex Warhammer players, it's it's gamers, toy soldier players, building armies, anything else. But I'm going to be at home with my family for the next few months, and we had some um, Walking Dead stock that kind of stopped selling in retail a bit. So I said, well, you know what? Let's put let's put a sale half price on the game because loads of people. It's so easy. It's such a lovely game. It's got great mechanics because it's basically player versus player. Yet the most dangerous thing is the terrain, <laughs> the, the thing that's between the two of you. So you start shooting each other and they're going to eat you. So now you've got some decisions to make. What I realised is, like I said earlier, I played that with my son. Now, I still get my hobby time because I can go up and paint it, do the basing, get it all together, get the set together. But the game is very simple. You know, a zombie moves this, it hits something. When it hits it next turn, it makes another noise, it goes round it. If it gets within this close of you, it jumps on you. Oh, that's cool. So we've got this. Um, you can play with your partner. You can play with your daughter, with your son. Um, at, you can even play it solo. And so we put a half price on it and suddenly everyone goes, I've been mean to get that game, 20 quid, let me have a look at it. And a load of people started picking up these different style games because you could have the full hobby experience but actually, you can spend time with your family, your partner. You still get to paint it and play with it and do all of that. And, 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 and yeah, you know, it had a real kind of... So in the pandemic, we, everyone started playing Pandemic. <laughs> yeah. End of the World Apocalypse games. But I would imagine as well trying to sell like a partner on a, an IP game for us. You know, I think my, my wife would be much more playing, you know, should I play some Walking Dead rather than do you want to play... Dwarves or the Abyssal Dwarfs, or you know, yeah, or do you want to play? Which, which, no, no, it's too hard. Yeah. It's too complicated. I've got to pay too many figures. That's not my hobby. But hey, I've got this. Remember Walking Dead? Yeah, I want to play Michon. Yeah, cool. There's Michon. Right, what do I do? Come over and kill me. Watch out! There's, I know it. She knows the IP. I know the zombies are bad, <laughs> and I know I've got a cool kick-ass sword. Okay, roll. Uh, how many dice do I roll? Well, on the card, it's one blue, one white, two red. Cool. Zombies dead. So am I, Bush. Oh, I've got this. This is cool. So, and then they're not going out either. You know, we're all watching, okay, Netflix, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, Friday night's family Zoom call. What should we do Wednesday? Got to play Walking Dead. Oh, yeah, I love that series. All right, let's, let's, let's play it. And so everybody had time to give something new a try. You know, for me, I picked up a couple of the board games that I'd always meant to play, you know, Ticket to Ride and that kind of... I've never played some of those, like, classics, so I picked a couple of those up because we're all in together. Let's try something. Oh, yeah, Andy and I picked up playing some of the card games. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, and then, like, now we'll actually, like, go down the club sometimes and just play card games and, like, commuting across town with, like, a couple of Keyforge decks. It's, it's much nicer. Yeah. Than, you, you it's know. a 4,000-point, yeah. Yeah, case on so, so, like, moving on to there in the end, so, like, on the consumer side of things now, looking at, like, the hobby as a whole, really, I, I, it, it sort of feels to me like, so, like, the last 10 years or so, we've really been in, like, a golden age where we've had, like, great minis, great rules, and, like, an amazing choice of both, and actually, like, quite a good price point in the main for those things. Like, you see a really cool model anywhere in the main. You can get it apart from some companies without spending a kidney yeah. whereas it seems to be like that seems to have 
ended very quickly, both with the pandemic and with Brexit and everything else, you know, with like technology, you know, yeah. politics, all of these things. And, you know, we, we're now seeing some of the like, what seemed quite well established hobby companies sort of folding and going out of business. And like a lot of the like one man in the shop shed businesses up for sale. Um, so like since you launched sort of Mantic, so like in broad strokes, yeah. how would you sort of say like the industry of both of like minis and tabletop games has changed? And also like how do you think it will likely look in like five years time? So sort of like both here in the UK like and abroad? Yeah, I mean, I think it has it changed? Certainly, you know, I mean, there was only kind of two people mad enough to do a, you know, kind of toy soldier company, you know, Warlord and us, Mantic, you know, back in the day. And that's because you know, both John and I love toy soldiers. That's what we chose as a career. And when we couldn't do it with the games workshop, we said, well, fine, we'll do it ourselves then, you know. Um, and we both had our different business ideas. And, you know, even now, 10 years on, we don't really step on each other's toes. You know, he sold Armada, which is based on Black Seas. He tells, you know, he's got a set for a load of our terrain crate, you know, World War II stuff for his bolt action game. Um, obviously, there's been a healthy rivalry and some mick taking, but, you know, we, we, we're plowing different um, burrows. Then there was this toothless Kickstarter changed everything. And I, and I think at some point, I think early on, Mantic used it well. Then I think we used it very badly. And now I think back to using it sensibly that supports the business, not is the business. And that's, I never set out to make a, you know, here today, gone tomorrow kind of splash company. I set out to build a uh, long-term, cool, kick-ass hobby company that sells and makes fun, relatable, easy-to-get-into games. Fancy sci-fi, unlicensed. And I think we're coming back to that now uh, in, a, in a proper good way. But boy, oh boy, was it hard. <laughs> and that Kickstarter money looks like all the money in the world, but it's very, very, very dangerous. And I think what you're now seeing, and what it also did was it got all of these licensing people looking at this easy money and go oh yeah but and secondly alongside that board games kind of exploded and started drifting into the toy soldier world and i think the one that probably confused the lines most was x-wing because it appealed to war gamers and board gamers and there was a period that that game outsold 40k you know which is which is some impressive feat um, but it's going to be very hard to find anything that where the pre-paints are as good as you can do yourself. The game is as slick as that game was, and the IP is as big as Star Wars. So that was a real, you know, all all of the ducks fully lined up. I think now that the licensing companies aren't getting paid because the Kickstarter people have done one and they've gone bust and they've not paid it, or they've realised bloody hell, this is quite hard work actually, and. Uh, I think we're going through that phase where it tickles back off again and comes back to the people that know what they're doing. And if you give them Kickstarter money, you're going to get your Kickstarter. And the licensing companies are like, I would rather work with Mantic because they're going to do Hellboy, the bold game, and then I can give them the role play game. And my consumers are going to be very, very happy that they're going to get a very good quality product. And we're going to be here to deliver on it. And, it's a good enough product that will be available through retail. So the Kickstarter is for your super hardcore fans. 
and then actually here's a retail product that's thought through and is a good retail product that works well. And so I think there's there's been a lot of uh, a lot of companies that I think would have survived had Kickstarter not come along as a small operation, but Kickstarter is too brutal, it's too unforgiving. There's some that never would have got there without Kickstarter, but now they're here, they've learned how to make that work. And then there's those that are like us or like uh, some of the others are using it sparingly or not using it at all. I think there's other existential threats like 3D printing. You know, I think that's a, that's a comma. I don't think it's going to replace a big box board game of stuff because you need the cardboard, the dice, the things. And until we've got these machines that you see in the expanse where everything's just 3D printed, uh, they're a while away. But I think if you want that hero figure, you through some STLs, can I tweak it myself? Press print, wake up the next morning and it's there. Well, that's a tech that's coming. So golden period, yes. Crazy fun, yes. Hopefully there's actually another golden period, but I'm hoping that's because Mantic gets scale and therefore you've got three or four other games to play. And I think one of the, one of the if, if you go back, I think when I did my MBA, there was only Microsoft. You know, Apple was nowhere. They were virtually bust. Um, so there was only, and they would say, well, actually, they were killing all of the um, innovation because their job was just like, just keep doing this and don't let it fall over. Then Apple came along from nowhere. Boom, they went. But then Google came along. And then eBay came along. And then Facebook came along. And suddenly our lives changed in a way that it wasn't just Word and Excel and emails it was what we're doing right now <laughs> you know we're doing a podcast on a call that people listen to on the phone while traveling into to to work or to the club yeah. and i think a lot of painting figures and so i'm hoping that what mantic can do in the next 10 years is create a really relevant new age not new age in hippie sense but like relevant gaming company that people go oh, those guys do that so well they get licenses and they make games that are so fresh and so fun that I just love playing them. Or I love their Kings of War game. I can be there at six. I've finished at eight. I'm having a pint. I'm hanging around. And I've not got brain ache. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Cool. That's hopefully it'll be a really cool place to be. And I, uh, I, I think, personally, like on the 3D printing point of view, I think some of it is amazing. Because like if you're a collector, like I collect world war ii stuff and like you want that specific tank that no one makes yeah you can get someone to print it for you but i don't think it's anywhere near that like, oh i want 50 pounds of grenadiers printing please yeah just uh, and also I, I think it's a different hobby yeah i want i want 50 pounds of grenadiers click i want 50 goblins click click they're there two days later yeah. right give them out glue them together let's get on with it let's get my regiment made so yeah. yeah, so I think what am I going to? I mean, if I do my plugs before we finish up, Armada is going very well. I think that'd be great for your members if you've not seen it. If you remember, Manimal, it's like that, but um, bigger and bolder and fresher and newer. But aesthetic-wise, absolutely beautiful. I've painted two fleets. I've not done two um, two of anything for I don't know how long. So very good fun. Um, Dead Zone may well be getting a refresh in the third edition. Uh, if you've never played that game try it. it the buy-in is super low um a squad of figures 
but the interaction between the figures and the terrain and your opponent is truly a revelation. And if you've never played it, play it, get a set of terrain down at the club and, and give have, have a go because um, I'm not a massive sci-fi player, but that would be my you know desert island sci-fi game like by a country mile. Um, it really plays well and the, the, the interaction with the terrain is phenomenal and great fun. And obviously Kings of Wars getting new releases. The halflings have come out. We've done plastic halflings and uh, Argonauts and goodness knows what and Iron Beast and it looks awesome. So we've got loads of great things coming for all of our game systems in the next few months and um, hopefully I'll get down to the Hate Gaming Club soon and uh, show off some of the stuff we've got. Well, always welcome. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Hi, Andy here. Thanks for listening to Hobby Support Group. If you're listening on Spotify, can I ask you just to click on and subscribe to us? It'll be a really big help. Just just get your get your phone, what you ever use, and, and go on and, and just subscribe. And then you'll never miss me or Tom ever again. And thanks again for listening to Hobby Support Group. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.